Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Mellis. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. You're with me, Nikki Nellis. Uh, did you miss me? Because I'm back. I took a little week off. So for those of you who are joining the show for the first time, a little introduction. I am Nikki Nellis. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. Perhaps you hear my husband, David, and I on Foodie and the Beast every Sunday live on 1500, the DC area's only food and wine variety show. You may also hear me on WTOP, where I cover the hospitality scene via trends and roundups. Of course, you follow me on social media at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for every delicious thing happening around the city. And if you want even more information, you probably follow the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that lists every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. Now, it has been a rock and roll couple of weeks since I was last on air. DC is open for business. And if you want a vaccine, you can and should get one. And there is a sense of excitement, happiness, gratitude. I don't know. It's all good and it's in the air. So as I mentioned, I was out of town last week and don't roll your eyes, but I did spend it at Disney World. Now, I am not a devotee and trust me, there are devotees. Um, but the the Disney experience is really remarkable. First of all, it's massive. Like, I don't even know how to explain the magnitude of the size of Disney because there are resorts on top of resorts on top of resorts within the Disney property, not to mention all the resorts outside the Disney property and the way they house all those people. Um, and then the staff, what's amazing about the staff is the hospitality. I mean, it did not matter if it was somebody screwing in a light bulb, somebody at the front desk, somebody putting you on a ride, somebody serving you a meal. Everybody is just so genuinely hospitable. And it's, uh, I give them kudos for that. It's an incredible experience. And then there's the feeding of everyone. And what I found really interesting is that, yes, there are hot dogs and hamburgers and pizza and chicken nuggets, but there's also real food and real service. And um, it's not hot cuisine by any stretch, but it is better than competent food. Um, and I did not get the memo, but apparently there is booze at Disney World now. Um, and I saw that because basically all the adults there were completely inebriated. Uh, but it was not like that the last time I was there. So it's just really interesting. And if it's a trip you choose to take or feel like you have to take or want to take with your children or with your friends, um, there are ways to do it. And it's definitely worth it. Now, this show airs on June 1st. Memorial Day is over. Summer is here graduations are happening mazel tov to all of them pro tip make your reservations father's day is around the corner don't forget to take care of dear old dad the list are you on it.com has everything you need for all of that there's also reopenings and openings just like the cicadas emerging from their slumber and wreaking havoc they're disgusting. Um, so too are many restaurants and bars. So new to the scene is Apero. This is from Ellie Benchimal. It is a champagne and cocktail bar. I am a fan of Ellie and I'm so looking forward to seeing what she's doing. Um, the Seafood Titan True Lux just opened by the convention center and Nick Stefanelli is getting into gambling sort of. He's creating the menus at the new sports book, which is in the Cap One Arena. Now, you know how I know it's summer? Because schnapsicles are back at Stable and Cork Market is popping up with Rosé at Paradiso. So with that, let's get on with the show. Um, as we have chatted about on this show, um, just because restaurants are allowed to be at 100%, it doesn't mean they can. Pre-pandemic, there was a growing staffing crisis. And now that we're almost post-pandemic, not enough employees to staff all the hospitality establishments. 
there's a lot of hand wringing and there's a lot of finger pointing. You know, during the pandemic, there was a rallying cry to change the industry, fair wages, healthcare, quality of life, new rent structures. But everyone was hustling to stay afloat and now everyone is hustling to open. So it's like this really vicious cycle and there's just no clear leader providing a new path. Now, everyone agrees the industry needs a change, but can it? So that's what we're gonna do on today's show. I have a great panel. Uh, with me is Kathy Hollinger of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Later in the show, we'll be talking to Chris Floyd of uh, the hospitality industry recruiter and former chef of Capital Restaurant Resources. Hollis Wells Silverman of the Duck and the Peach and Christina Fox of True Food Kitchen. With me first is Kathy Hollinger of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Lucky me, Kathy joins me every other show to talk about what's happening in the industry and nothing could be more perfect for it right now. Hey, Kathy, how are you? Hey, Nick, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's always good to have you. So Kathy, you and I have talked a lot over the years and, and you know we've mentioned this probably a thousand times, but right before the pandemic, we were talking about the staffing issues so they were in play before absolutely i mean you you alluded to it earlier we you know as an industry pre-pandemic we were employing sixty-five thousand uh people in the district alone second largest uh to private we were the second largest private sector employer in the district so we were struggling with hiring even before covid 19. we had so many new restaurants that had opened, there were new concepts, they were um, restaurant expansions, and we were doing a lot of work in workforce development then. We were focused on bringing ProStart, which is a front of the house and back of the house, high school training program, bringing it back to DC. It is in every state across the country. Um, we brought it back in fall 2018. 2019 was our building year for the new program. 2020 was the year where we were excited to be in full swing with 300 students in the ProStart program ready to be out at the end of 2020 and enter the workforce. Um, then DCPS went virtual, right? All schools went virtual. And while they were able to offer some of the training, they weren't really able to do anything um, that was in the kitchen or hands-on. So while we've been you know, working with our partners to bring a culinary and management academy to DC, you know, we had a huge pause during COVID where now we are not only restarting these efforts, but we're restarting it through a very, very different lens of what our workforce may need to look like as we go forward, which really takes us to kind of where we are today, right, Nick? We know hiring is a major concern, and it's an area where we are as an organization quickly working on solutions. Well, let's talk about some of the numbers because, you know, I don't think people understand, you know, I, people think of Washington, D.C., and they think government. But yeah. isn't the hospitality industry the largest employer in D.C.? They're the second largest employer next to federal government, yes. Okay. Um, but as an industry, I mean, that's huge. And we were the most impacted by, you know, what happened with COVID, definitely for the restaurant operator, but for the worker. I mean, 90% of workforce was furloughed or let go. And, you know, now we have this kind of re-entry issue where we are trying to all staff up, restaurants are trying to staff up. And um, it's, a, it's difficult. And yes, while some are still on unemployment, um, you know, that's one piece of many, many, many issues um, that are causing people to either leave the industry, not come back to this industry. They have moved out of this region. It's difficult to get into work, to find coverage for their family or children. I mean, Nick, it's really, really complex. It is complex. And, you know, listen, um, that Initiative 77. Yes. That the, the tipped workers, the pool, to, uh, there's 
there's a lot of lingo out there that the lay person doesn't understand. And Initiative 77 is sort of rearing its head. Can you sort of give us a refresh of what yeah. all that is and, and where we're supposed to stand on it? Yeah, so we are, um, you know, 77 was an effort that was brought into the district by, you know, national advocates on one fair wage, which was really designed to raise minimum wage, which is one thing, which is an industry we are very, very for raising minimum wage in Washington, D.C., we're 15, where many parts of the country are not so. But the other part of 77 was not only raising minimum wage, but it was creating one wage, which meant eliminating the tip credit or tips in general, or um, putting operators in a position where if they wanted to keep the tip system in place, they had to meet a very different financially burdensome threshold to do so. Interestingly, the initiative, while it passed on the ballot in DC, workers in the industry were so appalled by it and they were very much against it that our city and elected officials overturned it because what workers wanted was the ability, the flexibility and ability to earn income and additional income and not be um, confined to a one wage model. That is rearing its head today because during the pandemic, there were many operators who had to let go, as I said, 90% of their staff, they had to rethink their operating model. Part of rethinking their operating model was potentially going to a compensation model that was different than what it was pre-COVID because they only had three people on their staff. <laughs> So um, it was a little different. It, was, it different. was different. It was different. So what I say to the world is restaurant operators and owners more than ever mm -hmm. need to have the autonomy to think about and consider what makes the most sense for them as a small business owner, particularly coming out of COVID, knowing that there is a lot that has to be considered as they think to survive and sustain as a business model um, going forward. So that means that you are free to think about anything and everything in terms of compensation, benefits, training, culture, environment, lifestyle. There is a lot to consider as we are trying to pull people back into our great industry, mm -hmm. um, knowing that it's an industry of opportunity where employers are ready and willing to hire and train on the job, um, but they do have to rethink and reset as they think about creating these positive and safe work environments with opportunities to learn and earn. Well, Kevin, what the members of the Restaurant Association, what, a restaurant, uh, what are they coming to you and saying? Uh, you know, what they need from you, what kind of resources are they looking for? And what, yeah. I mean, let me just be clear. The Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington has provided the restaurant industry in the DC market constant assistance during this pandemic. I mean, yeah. with, you know, memos every day and information every day and handholding for people who need it. I mean, you and your team have done so so much and if you don't get applauded i will be your cheerleading section over mm -hmm. here um but um what are they looking for now and and from you and from the organization and how are you trying to help them yeah i mean they are so they're looking for really three things i think they are looking for um getting the word out and and a, a platform to be able to do that where they are communicating that they are open they are um, ready to hire and that they have opportunities in-house. So that could be done. It used to be able to be done through a more basic job portal, which is a job board on our website where employers can post. But, but candidly, 
we had to quickly, knowing that this is much more of a crisis than a challenge, develop a dynamic interactive platform to connect job seekers and employers directly. And that is something that technologically we are creating um, to have it later in the summer or early fall. That has to be something going forward, knowing that there's always that need. We've always had that need in the industry. Right. Um, the other piece is, lessons learned insights on how and what are the tools that I may need as an operator as my intention is to create a positive and safe work environment with opportunities to learn and earn and grow as our industry rebuilds and recover. And that is a lot of the more private, when I say private, I mean it's smaller group. It is 10 to 15 to 20 operators that come together to talk about what they are doing in their establishments as they are thinking about culture change, as they're thinking about benefits, not the traditional benefits that may be offered in corporate America, but maybe some, how they think about you know, the impact to their bottom line financially and how to have the right vendors and partners in place to offer that benefit. That is a lot of what is happening in terms of the dialogue space. And then it's really basic, Kathy, we need a series of almost every month we have a job fair in place where we can have employers there representing their restaurants and be able to connect directly to workers where it is free to the operator, it's free to the worker to attend, apply on site, interview on site, to possibly work in the next two days. So we have um, yeah. coming up in June. Yes, we do. So we have a job fair on Tuesday, June 15th from 10 to 2. In person. It, it's an in-person outdoor job fair. Okay. Distancing and masks are required. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be about 70 plus employers representing probably 100 restaurants as summer groups with many locations. And again, it's free to employers who are a part of our community to host a booth, and it's free to workers to attend, apply on site, um, interview on site. It's at the Woodrow Wilson Plaza at 1300 Pencil, uh, Pencil <laughs> what's going on, Nick? Pennsylvania, <laughs> where we're both from, Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. Right. Great. Okay, Kathy, on that note, I, I'm thrilled you're going to stay with us for the whole show because we're really going to be having an incredible conversation. Uh, with that, I'm going to take a quick break. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. We'll be back in just a minute. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. We're talking to uh, Hope Pro people about the current uh, hiring crisis in DC when it comes to the restaurant industry. Uh, we just spoke with Kathy Hollinger, the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Up next, Chris Floyd, he is a uh, hospitality industry recruiter, former chef, Capital Restaurant Resources. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Nice to be with, here with everybody. Um, yes, this has been the craziest several weeks I've ever uh, seen. Uh, after after being in the doldrums for over a year, we were really hit by a tidal wave, washed up on the shore, sandy and scratched. But uh, for us, this is a great problem to have. We're we're very excited, and uh, you know, business is great, but I ask you about that, Chris, because like pre like we started off at the beginning of the show pre-pandemic, um, there was already a staffing crisis. So um, where were you there? And then obviously, like, look, everybody was furloughed. Everything happened during the pandemic. How did you ramp up? Like, I want to sort of know, like, before and after. I want to understand how it worked. So, yes, I mean, as discussed, I think before the pandemic, there was certainly a, a dearth of people on the market. Um, it was hard for restaurants and hotels to find good people to staff all levels of positions. Uh, you know, we do front and back of the house recruiting. Uh, we do temp staffing. And uh, so we were you know, very busy and growing uh, pre-pandemic. Um, now it's twice as worse. Um, it's, it's just a, a huge supply and demand, you know, glut. And um, it was interesting, you know, we 
kind of saw things starting to ramp up maybe back in January. And we were talking to some clients and they're saying, hey, we're thinking of opening and, you know, we're going to get start opening in March or April. People saw, you know, outdoor dining coming back and, and knew things were going to get busy. And it was interesting. We, we did do some placements over the over the pandemic. But then, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a restaurateur in January. It's like, do you have good people? And, and we had started to kind of build our bench and reach out to people and, and you know, reconnect with people. And we have several thousand contacts in our files. But everybody waited until March. And then it was just, you know, it was like a, you know, post Thanksgiving day sale, you know, it's just insanity. And all of a sudden people are grappling for, for every last person. And, you know, so it's been, it's been challenging. Um, I mean, it is fun to, to have a lot of stuff to do and a lot of assignments. We have now 75, 80 open posts on our management job board. Uh, plus, everyone wants hourlies as well, so it's 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 great. Um, Chris, let me ask you a question. I mean, I I appreciate your how it looks for you from your business side, but I'm sort of curious. Like, what are you hearing? Because you service two people, two sides, right? You're you've got the client side, which are the right. employers who are paying you, and then you have the employee side, which you you need because you need them for your clients. So. Right. What are you hearing from both? Like, what do you what are what are you hearing other than I need people from prospective employers? What are you hearing from them? Well, I'm hearing uh, some desperation, uh, some some panic, uh, some frustration um, from the uh, client side, from the restaurant side. You know, they're just not able to bring people in. I mean, I've talked to. Um, you know, directors of operations who've had their own job fairs and they'll have eight people show up and they'll hire one. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking with an operator a couple of weeks ago who, you know, the weather was nice. He was going into the weekend. He's like, even with the 25% restrictions, he said, I could have 30 servers and I've got four going into the weekend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what do I do? And, uh, you know, I don't have a great solution to that. I mean, I did actually talk to him about technology solutions like the, um, like you know, the scan cat. codes and toast and, and, you know, doing that outside dining. I think that's a very efficient way to do it. Um, but there really are just a lot of people who are hesitant to come back. Um, I hear a lot of empl employers grumbling about the um, extended unemployment benefits. I think that's I part think that's of a myth. That one pisses me off. I do. I think that's like, it's like a, like, welfare queen trophy myth. Like, come on, it's not that much money. And that's like sort of saying these people just don't want to work. And I just don't know anybody like that. So it, it really, there may be a small percentage, but I'd love to see the data on that. Yeah, I don't know, you know, the data, but I think it's a multitude of factors. I think that may be part of it. I think another big issue is childcare, since people don't have, you know, schools to put their kids in. Um, I think healthcare concerns, legitimate healthcare concerns. I think a lot of people have moved. Um, you know, we brought back a chef who'd moved down to Louisiana recently for, because they were open and he needed to work. Um, I think people have reevaluated and just gone into different industries. I mean, you know, construction around DC has been booming this whole time because that they were essential workers. And, you know, I see them digging up the streets and remodeling houses. And they have signs on their trucks. We're hiring twenty-five to thirty dollars an hour, and that's Monday through Friday gigs. You know, double time and a half on the weekends. So you know, it's going to be very difficult for restaurants to bring back cooks, dishwashers. You know, at eighteen to twenty dollars, when these guys are making twenty-five to thirty. Um, you know, working in construction and other industries. Um, I called a sous chef. Um, you know, from our files two weeks ago, for a job that was near his house, and he said. Hey, so, you know, thanks so much for calling me, but, um, you know, I took a job at Home Depot because I had to, and, uh, you know, I kind of like it. They're really nice to me, and the culture's good, and the money's not quite as much as I was making, but, you know, I have a chance to move up, and the benefits are good, and I think I'm going to stay, but thank you very much, and he con connected me with a friend, which is good, but, but, um, but it's uh, it is a big challenge for everybody, and I think it's a multitude of factors um, right now for for employers. And how are you helping employers sort of navigate this? Like, I, and how do you go about 
sort of filling your stable with viable employees? What, how, how are you reaching out? Like you don't do job fairs or, you know, like how do you do it? Cause you're trying to bring in the best of the best. I mean, that's what you're known for. So how do you go about stock restocking your stable? So we, you know, we post on all sorts of job boards and LinkedIn and, and, you know, all the other different places that people post Craigslist. We do all of that all the time. Okay. We are not seeing many candidates come in that way. Um, we are reaching out directly to people. Um, we are asking people to refer people. We are going through our old contacts and, you know, reaching out to them. I mean, we, we've been doing this for 17 years, so we have a lot of contacts. Um, but it's really direct uh, hands-on recruiting, beating the bushes, you know, calling the people. And, um, you know, people, the, it's an employee market right now. And, and they know it. And they have a lot of choices. Um, I have a lot of advice for, for employers. I mean, I think, first of all, be nice. Um, you know, I, I always describe recruiting as like matchmaking. And you're kind of trying to bring together two sides. And, you know, it's important that each side so, show interest if it's going to be a good match. And, uh, you know, just yesterday, I had a Michelin star uh, chef de cuisine who we have interviewing at three properties and she went into this interview and to cook and was completely ignored no contact they were kind of rude to her just threw her in the kitchen and you know she's like thanks but no thanks you know and it wasn't it wasn't because anything particularly happened it was just because they weren't very welcoming um i well, do you think that speaks to, and this is one of the things I wanted to sort of open up to everybody, but we're here. I, there is a, the last year and a half has also brought to light a, a cultural shift. Nobody wants to be yelled at anymore. Like the days of, I, I really always, I never watched the Gordon Ramsay show, but that show pissed me off. Cause like that wasn't highlighting the positives of the restaurant industry. It was just some guy yelling and screaming expletives at people who were working hard. And I think the days of that yelly, screamy chef, somebody who's throwing things at people, like nobody wants that anymore. Nobody wants to work there. There's no quality of life there. No, nobody wants that and nobody will put up with it. I mean, the, the, you know, that whole Gordon Ramsay shtick is you know, purely for the TV. And really, nobody can get away with that stuff anymore in any large restaurant group. Maybe a private chef who's really good, who people are desperate to work for, mm -hmm. might put up with that. But now people have so many options that they're going to walk. And, and most modern management teams know this. And you know, if you don't treat your employees well, they have other options. They will walk out the door. Alice is like shaking her body like here. Like, but everybody is like nodding their heads. Like, I can't wait to open this up. <laughs> Listen, Chris, I'm going to pause you for a moment. And I'm actually going to go to you, Hollis. Hollis Wells-Silverman. Um, I mean, Hollis, you've been in the industry for a long time. Before you opened up your first concept, you worked with Jose Andre. I mean, to say that you've trained with some of the best, I think is probably the understatement, but I love a little background on what you learned and what you took from your experience to open up your first restaurant. Sure. I think Chris is right. I mean, people want to be in a positive environment. It's really important that it's positive and also that people are learning. That's been a really big piece that I've taken from Jose and my time there. I mean, there was a very great experience learning building growing understanding how to do food how to do menus and drinks but people you need a people positive culture it's really really important and that's been something that i've really focused on definitely um with the duck and the peach and uh people just walking in they're like oh it's so positive i'm like well it should be this is where you spend your time this is where you spend your energy this is where you know the people that you're with outside of your family or your partners or your animals or whatever it may be so positivity is so important so important so, okay, let's back people up. Let's explain you uh, were in process of opening up not one, not two, but three concepts. Yes. You're an overachiever. And <laughs> uh, in the same uh, building on Capitol Hill, uh, but you did go ahead and open up the Duck and the Peach, uh, really like right in the middle of the pandemic. So let's, let's talk about your concepts. Let's explain what they are and how you see going forward and, and how this crisis is or is not affecting you. Cause you've done some cool things. You have some good offerings for prospective employees. 
Yes, we we opened December 23rd. We started construction January of 2020, hoping to open May of 2020. And then it's just been a ride since then. So we opened for carryout only. And we pivoted about in March to in dining. So we did outside dining, inside dining. So it's been very different. And the staffing hiring crisis is an issue. There's not enough people. There's a lot of things that we've had to look towards like technology, QR codes to view the menus, QR codes for people to order, trying to get that all set up with the kitchen order fire, but we're trying to do more with less. That's really our only option, which has been really interesting. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're doing things a little differently here. We offer a living wage for people. We're trying to create a better, a better business model. So what, in my, what, hmm? is, what does that mean? What is what it's an extra fee on the check. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. What does that mean? What does that mean first for me, the diner who's paying? Mm -hmm. And then what does it mean for you and your staff? Sure. Well, as a lot of us know, the restaurant industry has horrible margins. It's a really bad business to go into if you're trying to make a lot of money. Um, people don't understand the true cost of what things are. So what we're doing based on my research and experience is we add a 22% living wage charge onto all purchases. Typically people add a 20 to 25% gratuity automatically. And that's a threshold where we found that the diner would, would pay. So we add that 22% on and that goes directly to pay our staff and benefits and hoping as we open more places and have more revenue, it will really cover it. And then we can have a lot more offerings, but currently we're doing hundred percent of benefits, health, dental, and vision for employees, management employees after 30 days and half for hourly after 90 days, trying to get towards hundred percent, but also as a business, in my experience, you can't offer too much. Otherwise we're not going to be able to survive. So it, it really gives a lot more stability to people. So the tips, you know, people with tips and especially in the last, you know, 18 months or whatever it is, if you have a tip pool, it's 25. If you get $25 in tips one night, it's split between everybody and they're still making that amount. And it's really, really pushed a lot of things that were an issue in this industry to the forefront. So I'm hoping that this experiment that we're doing will really help create more of a profession for people. So we can really have that stability and offer unlimited PTO. So you can go on vacation and, you know, sick leave and all the things so that we get the best of people when they're working here. So now when you have, um, so if let's say I add gratuity, mm -hmm. how is, is that just split or does it, cause you know, there was a huge article yesterday, Fabio Trabocchi is having a lot of problems, no surprise. Uh, but, um, but that the pool tip versus the real, like that was a huge sure. issue. So where does that work with your employees? I mean, you already have something in place, right? We, um, we split it between everyone. So there's also a huge disparity between the back of house and the front of house. And I, I don't think that's fair. So it's a different, it's a different way to do it. So we split based on the shift and the hours work. We split it when people add gratuity, if they decide to leave gratuity, then it is split between everyone so that everyone gets extra um, on their paycheck, hoping down the road, we can have other things like bonuses and things along those lines. But right now, any credulity left uh, is split between the staff. Well, I think to me, you're, you're starting, it's like you're, you're changing the concept. Everybody yep. who joins you has to understand that this is not how all restaurants work. Right. And they're going to make money in a very different way, but it doesn't change the hospitality or service that you're providing. No, not at all. It, ideally, we're adding a little bit of ease to the people because they know what they're going to make every paycheck. Mm -hmm. And I also, because, but I think for the diner, you know, mm -hmm. we're a bubble here, all of us sitting here looking at each other talking, you know, we can talk about all this stuff and we know about all of it. And I think there's this sort of false perception that um, my neighbor next door, you know, understands how the industry works because we know they're razor thin margins and you, you know, you hear it on the news, razor thin margins and it's in eater and whatever, but they like to go out and eat, but they're not reading about it and they're not, they hear it, but they don't know what it means. So the question is, is how do you educate the diner who comes in? 
you know, to explain to them how it works. Because there is a little bit of loss in translation. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we try to put it everywhere possible. We put it on the bottom of the menu. We put it in the menu. We put it in the QR code. We tell them a few things. We have it on the website. We have it out on our menu box in as many places as possible. And then we still get guests that are unsure about it. We explain it to them. Some people completely get it. I mean, we had this guest in from uh, Chicago the other day and they're like, the living wage thing, I totally get it. They're like, how do I leave a tip? And, and they understand there's certain cities that are doing similar things. Um, and there's some guests that don't understand and some people might not want to come back because of it. And that's totally fine. You know, we're, we're trying to appeal to make it a profession for people in our industry. And, you know, people have a choice, but this is the choice that we've made to try and make this business more sustainable for everybody in it. Well, I mean, and I think given the size of your restaurants, it, it's like a little case study. Mm -hmm. of, you know, whether or not how it can be successful and how it works for you. So just quickly, because we haven't explained, can we talk about the concept Duck and the Peach that's open and your two other concepts that are opening? Sure, sure. We have a, a new American restaurant called the Duck and the Peach. It's a, by nighttime, we're, we're going to have a dinner party experience. We're working towards that. Uh, during the day, we have more of an all-day cafe feel. We are opening a gin bar, which is a small little speakeasy right next door to it, which will just be open for cocktails, focusing on gin as the first spirit throughout the seasons. And we hope to open soon a neighborhood osteria called La Colina. Uh, and they're all right next to each other. Mm -hmm. Up on Castle Hill. Mm -hmm. um, I love the aesthetic. I've already been to the Duck and the Peach, and I think it's great. All right, Hollis, I'm going to put you on hold for a second because mm -hmm. we're going to start talking a little bit to Truth Food Kitchens. But first, I'm going to take a break. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC. Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Thanks so much for joining us. There is a staffing crisis in DC and it's happening in the hospitality industry. It's not news, but it is uh, a growing problem. And I have a whole panel here today uh, discussing it with me. Earlier in the show, talked with Kathy Hollinger of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. Chris Floyd of Capital Restaurant Resources, Hollis Wells-Silverman of The Duck and the Peach, and now joining me is Christina Fox of True Food Kitchen. She is the Northeast Regional Director of the Restaurant Group. Uh, Christina, thanks so much for joining us. Well, yeah, thanks for having me today. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So, uh, Christina, one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you in was because um, you're a huge national brand, and you have uh, 37 properties around the country with more coming, uh, four currently in the D.C. market. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your growth sort of pre-pandemic and then what happened during the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were growing at a pretty aggressive rate the last couple of years. We were averaging around eight, eight new locations, um, and then... As we all know, here we are today because the pandemic hit and that had really halted our growth and, and postponed it, um, you know, at the start of the pandemic, you know, let's say early March of 2020, we were poised to open, you know, three locations in the Northeast alone, um, my locations and, you know, that setback of really having to reevaluate how do we one close and then how do we safely reopen and then continue to be able to open within the guidelines of each state or each location and then still provide, you know, that, that safety measure for our, our teams as well as our guests and then be able to deliver on, on what our brand is. So we, we did, we definitely paused, you know, um, we were able to open two locations in the fall of, you know, 2020, one in Columbus, Ohio, and one in um, Garden City, Long Island. And then just recently um, this year, able to open our Reston location here in Virginia. April 28th, as well as a New Jersey location as well. So we're starting to um, be able to move forward, you know, at, at a slower rate for some of the reasons that we're talking about today and just the pause in general. Um, but, you know, again, really excited for the future as we continue to reopen. Roughly, I mean, I don't know if you know these numbers, but I mean, 
how many employees did you have in the region? Because you're it's a big property. Like the one in Bethesda is, is ginormous, and so is the one in Mosaic. And these are not smaller. You're not sitting 60 people. I mean, how many? Uh, what's your? Employee? No, you're not. Right? Like you know. You know. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Pre-pandemic, you know, stores um, such as Bethesda or Fairfax that you that you just mentioned that are are uh, large boxes, if you will. You know, we we can accommodate you know 250 plus guests, you know, at any given time without without restrictions. Um, had you know on an average of anywhere from 120 to 150 employees between the front of the house, back of the house. You know, not some of those full-time employees and some you know part-time servers that might only work three to four shifts a week, you know, 15, 15 hours or so. Um, currently now, you know, you, we're about half half that, maybe a little bit closer to that 65%. Um, that is also in part due to the restrictions that are still in place or until this coming Friday when Virginia and Maryland um, ease all restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, again, slowly trying to add back in, but yeah, we're, we're a lot less now. And how is uh, bringing back employees been for you all? Like, how is, are you reaching out to your old staff? Are they coming back? Uh, are you finding shortages more front of the house, back of the house? What, how is it working for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic in early March of 2020, when um, we made a decision as a brand to, to close for a full four weeks, kind of regroup, refocus and then how are we going to navigate through this? You know, it was really important to us um, on, a, on a large level and then obviously as individual store levels for those leaders to, to keep in close contact with all those employees and do weekly touch-ins with them. How are you doing? How are things going? You know, we've spoken a lot about um, a happy work environment and in a positive culture. And, mm -hmm. and that's not just when you're in those four walls working a shift. It's always right like and so making sure we reached out and and by doing that we were able to really maintain um a lot of our core staff and bring people back again as we went from takeout only to then takeout in outdoor dining takeout indoor at 25 and as the phases progress and then in addition obviously meeting other individuals to the point i think chris mentioned you know some people left the industry and and they moved and they went to different states or they got out all together and so then infusing that that core group that you had with all those new employees that that you need and slowly again starting to build that up. And uh, do you find like as a larger entity in the industry, you're obviously able to offer things differently than say, I mean Hollis is totally outside the box when it comes to a small independent restaurant and what she's doing mm -hmm. at the Duck and the Peach and her other two concepts. What does True Food do, True Food Kitchen do, as a way to uh, entice their employees, keep their employees? Like what, what kind of offerings are out there for you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, it starts with that culture piece, really making sure that that's a positive work environment. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what we're going to do because people are going to not choose to stay. But in addition, you know, we um, have created an apprenticeship program for individuals that are gonna come in and, and really lay out a clear path for them to want to grow and develop as far as long as they want to, you know, as well as, you know, your medical benefits for, for your hourly employees, you know, flexible scheduling, really deep discounts when it comes to our food and our offering for them. You know, we've really um, dug into the team members that we have because they're amazing. And if they're so amazing, I'm sure their friends and family are equally as amazing and done different um, referral incentives and or spot bonuses in some markets, depending on, you know, what that need was to really can kind of continue. And then as well as making sure that the environment um, for all new people that we were bringing on was controlled. So even though the demand of the guests is there and, and the sales could be there, really making sure we were responsible and not putting anybody in a position to feel overworked, stretched, um, and not confident as they were continuing to to come aboard and learn and and, and be trained, um, which I think was, you know, again, really important. And I think Hollis mentioned it. In addition, you know, we, we have implemented a QR code that does allow the guests to view the menu, 
order through it as well as pay and it's kind of been able to become a a friend if you will to to the serving staff and the bartending staff and really help um kind of free some of their time up to be able to do those other things of you know interacting with our guests and not sit at a terminal for seven minutes and bring it all in or try to have that guest wait for the payment so really help bridge what that guest expectation is as well as what that staff member is going to be able to provide well you know what's interesting about that is pre-pandemic um the go uh, GoTab is just one of the people i had them on one of my other radio shows they're the qr code one of the companies that does it and you know restaurant bars were into it and like convention centers things like that they were into it but restaurants were like no 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 we want our staff to interact and now people are there's such a 180 on what these codes can do and uh, i mean obviously there's some uh education for the clientele who may not be familiar with it but it is a fascinating twist on what's happening mm -hmm. in the hospitality industry um you know at, at restaurants that maybe would not have thought to use that kind of uh technology for um for their services um, and let's just talk about, uh, is it important now as you're hiring people that there's um, some sort of move, you know, that there's growth in your company, that people know that, you know, they may start here, but they can grow. Um, is that something that's important to the company and to the people who are coming to you that they want to know that there's, it's not just, a, you know, like a college kid getting a job, it's there's a, a real career path? Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that's really why we implemented that ab apprenticeship program, mm -hmm. so that there was that clear path and outline for for individuals who weren't just looking for that summer job and and wanted to make it a career in their industry, as well as you know making sure those leaders that are in, in the stores are supported with with the material and the tools and and how to coach and mentoring. You know, we've talked a lot about the shift in the industry as a whole, right? There is no 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 more screaming and yelling and throwing pots and pans and things of that nature. And so making sure that as we continue to get new leaders in and other, you know, mature leaders that knew another way have, have the information to, to be able to adapt and change to support that new narrative and that, that new employee that that's coming through the door. Yeah. It's a hundred percent important to us. Yes. Well, on that note, I'd like to open it up to everybody. And Kathy, I, Kathy, I want to start with you. Um, based on what you heard today, did you sort of take away things that you were like, yes, we're working on that. No, we're not working on that. Like, this is like hearing the different sides of, let's say, um, you know, True Food Kitchen and, and what um, College Silverman is doing. Yeah, I mean, I first I want to say that, you know, I the the culture of screaming and yelling and being unkind I mean, pre-COVID, that was horrendous, and that was not um, that was starting to change significantly, right? I will say that, and I, I think it's important to note this because our market is so unique compared to markets across the country. You know, we have incredible operators who are doing really incredible things, who are committed to their employees, who are committed to a learning, a lifelong learning environment for those who are interested in the industry. And I'm delighted to hear, you know, what I heard today um, in terms of what is being done. I was side chatting Hollis as she was talking because this is exactly what people are doing, should be doing. Um, and I'm hoping that that narrative is being pushed out further. In terms of you know, conversations, wow, we're having so many conversations and sessions and pulling people together to be able to share insight. But what is so interesting, Nikki, is that, for example, knowing that the first step starts with culture, right? And that the second may be followed by kind of this lifelong learning opportunity if you're interested, not left to the employee to figure out, but commitment from the employer to create and foster. Those are the kinds of conversations that we are having that speak to culture knowing we came off of a year where that was incredibly important as a first step 
no matter what challenge you're dealing with. But now what we're seeing is that is absolutely tied to this staffing crisis in terms of if that is not being done, you are so far beyond <laughs> what you need to be doing right. to be able to solicit great minds like Chris and others who are doing this work day in and day out. So I've learned so much, but I also feel so good about the leaders and business leaders who are here in our market offering a package that is wholesome and holistic in thinking about why it may be such a great industry to work for. Well, Chris, I, I want to bring you in on this because what are you hearing from the employers, right? Like, have you had to say to one of your clients, uh, you can't act like that anymore? I mean, <laughs> what, are you, um, like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, yeah, I have to tread lightly, but, uh, you know, a couple of things. I mean, um, I agree with what Kathy said, and I really salute Hollis for her model of this kind of progressive tip sharing thing. And a lot of restaurants and groups have gone to this model, not a lot, but some. Now, the kind of irony is that in some cases they've had their front of the house staff kind of revolt and walk out and you know I, I attended bar and, and waited tables in high school and then you know I was a line cook in San Francisco in my 20s and made no money and there is a big imbalance and I think that making it sort of more equitable for the whole team is a great idea but it's kind of like uh, the uh, corporate tax rate unless all the countries in the world go for it you know, you're always going to have somebody else undercutting it. So it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to do, but I think it's an important thing to do. Quality of life and showing hospitality. I think quality of life is something that comes up over and over and over again. And I would argue to employers that money is one thing and it's important, but I see people quit jobs for less money all the time because they don't like their employer they don't trust their employer. They think their employer was is abusive or over demanding. Um, and a lot of employees I've heard were, you know, were disappointed in how their employers handled the whole pandemic, whether it was safety concerns or not sending clear messaging. Um, you know, you're hired now, you're furloughed now, you're you're fired again. I mean, I mean, it was a huge challenge for everyone, including the employers, because there was so much uncertainty, but a lot of people felt burned. And so, you know, what I think employers need to do is show that they care, show that your employees are important to you, not just as cogs in the wheel, but as people. And through this time, all of us have had time to reflect about what is important in our lives. What, what do we you know, we had plenty of time to bake bread, walk dogs, go fishing, you know, whatever it was. And, you know, parts of those was really nice, right? I mean, um, I think a lot of people really had time to reflect. And what I've been seeing from the employee side is they're coming back and they're saying, okay, yeah, I want to work again, but I want to do it on the terms that are important to me. And whether that be, you know, career advancement, learning, um, the quality of the food, the quality of the atmosphere, the quality of the business. But, you know, employers really need to go the extra mile now to, to, to regain kind of the trust of their employees and make them feel welcome. Um, we're the hospitality industry. You have to be hospitable to your employees. And so, yeah, all the, all the bad stuff that you hear in the industry, that can't go on. Um, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen, in, well, first of all, 100% healthcare. That's a big one. Um, I've seen a couple of companies in the region uh, who used to only give benefits to their managers go 100% for all staff. That's a, that's a big one. Now, I wish that the federal government would have you know, single-payer Medicare for all. This would actually be a relief for most businesses because most small businesses like Hollis, it's a much bigger, it's a much bigger challenge for a small business to provide healthcare benefits than one of the big guys. So the, the startups and the small restaurateurs are at a disadvantage to the big corporations. Sure. So, you know, that would be nice. But on, on top of that, I've heard people saying, um, hey, we're only open Wednesday through Sunday now because they're kind of coming out of this, um, you know, 
this slumber and they're staffing up. Maybe they don't have enough staff to be open seven days a week. But I've heard a couple of people say, you know what? Maybe we'll just stay closed Monday or Tuesday or, or Sunday, or depending where we are. You know, maybe we'll just stay closed one day a week. And for a lot of people in the industry and chefs, that's really nice to know that, hey, Monday we're closed. So I might have to work five or six days a week, but I know on Monday it's my day off. And and uh, so I think that, you know, this whole American culture thing of, of maximizing profits and working till we drop, it's a great, great trait that we have as Americans, not knocking it, but it has to be balanced with other quality of life issues. Well, let me bounce to uh, Hollis on that. I mean, Hollis, um, where are, you know, think about what Chris has said and, you know, you, you uh, texted me, you said, you know, mental health is an issue. And I, I think that goes back to what we've been saying that, there, you know, there's sort of been this applauded culture of chefs throwing cans and screaming at each other. And, you know, the old guard of chefs, you know, like the Michelle Richards, who, I mean, I swear, right. But like, you know, that they may have had to deal with that as they apprenticed and learned the, you know, that was the French chef way to be, but like, that's not how people want to work anymore. Not here. So changing the culture. I mean, you're, you're at the precipice of it. So what does that look like for you? It, um, it's just being aware of people's mental health also and how people, you know, are dealing with life. Um, I think giving people space for that too. And if people come in and they have, you know, an issue, I mean, we try to be as positive as possible, but it's also realizing like some, sometimes you might come in and you, you know, got in a fight with someone or, you know, there's something going on. So it's giving that mental space and creating that connection with your team and being open to it. I think also, um, like Chris was saying, and just flexibility, we have, for example, we had this wonderful woman, she was a, a line cook and uh, she was a sous chef before. And we actually just promoted her to be an hourly sous chef. And she was hesitant because she's like, well, I have to pick up my kids every day by five. Like that's prohibited me from, you know, taking a sous chef role. And I mean, as a business owner, one of the things like we, we can't just say like, all right, this is, this is what we have. We have to have a person and they have to have like, whole, yeah, they have to have, you have to have flexibility and she's amazing. So I'm like, as long as forever, you will be able to pick up your kids by five o'clock. So like, she's out of here at three o'clock every day. Yeah. You have to be flexible for the people, especially to make sure you hire the people, right? And then you find out which role they fit into. I think that's really, really important as, you know, being a team member and running a team and giving people the autonomy. I mean, then if you work for them, you know, make it so that like they can be there for their family. She's going to be a much happier person here, right? Right. It's, you've got to, we've got to give in to people in their lives. This industry has not been willing to do that. And it's been like, push, 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 but why? Right. Well, we it, a, listen, it was originally set up in a military like culture. It needs a change. Yep. It needs a change and it has to change because people are people. And, you know, we are here for the people on our team to create a great experience <laughs> for guests, but it's important that our people come first, even even before the guest at times. And I think that that time to have, like you're saying, to be flexible and have people have mentally recharge. Um, you know, working in restaurants can be exhilarating. It can be fun, but it also can be very taxing. You're working some long hours under some high stress okay. situations. And, um, you know, I think people really need that time. So, you know, one of one of the very prominent restaurants. Chris? I hate to do this to you, dude. I'm sorry. I really want you to talk more. And I could talk to all of you like for the rest of the day. Like I, we could we could solve this problem, I, I'm pretty sure. But at some point, they're gonna pull the plug on my show. Right. So because we have to end. So Christina, I do want to go to you quickly because you've been nodding your head a lot. And I just if you have something to say, I'd like you to say it because I I, I think from a big corporate standpoint, which you guys are compared to like a Hollis, um, you know, what do you see? And I, I thought Chris's point on healthcare was really important because not everybody, healthcare is expensive. Not everybody can pay it. And we keep talking about razor thin margins. We didn't even get into rent structure, which is like my sticking point, uh, but that's another show. So Christina, please, uh, your thoughts. Yeah, I, 
I'm, I'm nodding my head because I'm in agreement that whether you're a, a single unit uh, location or in my case, multiple units across the country, you still have to have that same mindset of, of that employee in the hospital. Hospitality focus has always been on the guest and not ever on on the staff member, and and it was always because if someone called out, who was going to cover it, right? The hardship where you have to again continue to adapt. And okay, if someone's having that bad day and they can't be there, and it's for the greater of of them, what's the worst thing you do? You close the section down for a day. You seat four less tables through the meal period, mm-hmm. you know. And and again, really supporting them. And then you know you had asked a little bit about healthcare. Yes, I think, you know, employee benefits is great. You know, that's something that, you know, we're committed to, um, you know, and that mental health component, you know, we've partnered with, you know, a national hotline to be able to have a resource for them available all the time, because there's a lot that goes on in in their home life that we're not privy to. And, you know, they're not maybe comfortable sharing with us uh, as well. And, And then offering those benefits, you know, whether it's, you know, their first 30 days or their, their first day and, you know, in a progressive phase, but, um, you know, absolutely. Again, it's really just about being adaptable, right? You know, we've already talked about the fact that things are changing. So we have to continue to change and drive it. And it really, it just really starts with, with, with your leaders in your store and that mindset and supporting them. Well, I totally agree with you. And I, I just want to thank you all for um, joining me today. I mean, it is a it's such an important conversation and there's so much more that we can dig into here. I mean, I, we've been on here for an hour and we've only scratched the surface. Um, so I just wanna thank all of you for joining me today. Well, that was a great show. I am so grateful to Kathy Hollinger of RAMW, Chris Floyd of Capital Restaurant Resources, Hollis Wells-Silverman of The Duck and the Peach, and Christina Fox of True Food Food Kitchens uh, for joining me today. I mean, clearly the staffing crisis is just that. It is a crisis. And for those of you who are not in the industry, here's what I ask of you. First of all, I hope you're vaccinated. And when you go out, if you're asked to wear a mask, please do. But remember when you go to these restaurants and you should be going to them, that it's so important that kindness be a part of your experience and that you recognize that the restaurants are understaffed and you are going to have to be patient, Um, but get out there and enjoy. So as always, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, This is Nikki Nellis of Industry Night on Real Fun DC at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. Have a safe and delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.